Welcome to Behind the Knife's Absite Review Series, revamped for the 2024 exam. Want to read along? Do it with our updated Absite Review book. All of this and more can be found on our website, behindthenife.org, and on our brand new, totally awesome Android and iOS apps, which are due out in December. We appreciate your support, and if you like what you hear, please leave us a review. Now, dominate the day and dominate the Absite. Behind the Knife would like to sincerely thank Medtronic for sponsoring the entire 2024 Abside podcast series. Medtronic has a rich history of supporting surgical education, and we couldn't be happier that they chose to partner with Behind the Knife. Their sponsorship goes a long way in supporting us as we develop exciting new content. As surgeons, we know and love Medtronic for their trusted brands like Tri-Staple Technology, V-Lock Barb Suture, ProGrip Mesh, and Ligature Vessel Sealing. With newer products such as the MaxTac Motorized Fixation Device, the newest Ligature XP Maryland, and the Sonicision Curved Jaw Cordless Ultrasonic Device, Medtronic's impact extends well beyond the operating room. Medtronic's mission is engineering the extraordinary. With 90,000 plus people in over 150 countries, Medtronic is committed to accelerating access to healthcare technology, advancing inclusion, diversity, and equity, and protecting our planet. Learn more at Medtronic.com. Okay, welcome back to Behind the Knives, Absite Review. The topic today is thyroid. So again, high-yield anatomy. So Kevin, uh, I'm going to go to you for all the vascular questions. So what's the vascular supply uh, to the thyroid? Walk me through it. Okay, so let's start with the superior thyroid artery, uh, which is you know, commonly pimped vascular question, is the first branch of the external carotid artery. Um, and then you have your inferior thyroid artery, which is a branch of the thyrocervical trunk. And then you have your thyroid IMA artery. It's an anomalous branch, usually from the innominate artery directly to the isthmus. And then, of course, you have to have veins. So you have your superior thyroid vein. This drains directly into the internal jugular vein. And then you have your inferior thyroid vein, which drains into the innominate vein. Great. And again, we have an image that goes along with that. So just review the companion and uh, make sure you understand that vascular anatomy. Moving on to nerves, John. So you know, I think the two most pertinent nerves are when it comes to specifically head and neck and especially thyroid is the superior laryngeal nerve and the recurrent laryngeal nerve. So superior laryngeal nerve, what does it innervate and what happens if it were to get damaged? Yeah, the superior laryngeal nerve is the motor to the cricothyroid muscle and injury to this, you would lose projection and fatigue during speaking. For the recurrent laryngeal nerve, remember the right travels with the vagus and loops around the anomaly artery and the left originates from the vagus nerve near the aortic arch, looping around the aorta. Injury to the recurrent laryngeal nerve is that you can get paralysis of the vocal cords. If you get injury bilaterally, it can obstruct the airway. Yeah, so that's you may want to consider preoperative uh, laryngoscopy to visualize the cords, especially at higher risk patients. So moving on from anatomy, let's talk a little bit about physiology. So thyroglobulin and calcitonin are really two of the important proteins to understand. So what's the function, Kevin, of thyroglobulin and calcitonin? So thyroglobulin comes from follicular cells, and this facilitates synthesis of T3, the more active form, and T4. Calcitonin comes from C cells, and this actually lowers the serum calcium via multiple mechanisms. Yeah, so this is, you know, as with all endocrine organs, it's important to understand the function um, because a lot of times the question on the test is going to be related to uh, the endocrine function of these organs uh, as well as the pathology. 
So there's not a lot to talk about embryologically that I think is super high yield for the abscite. One thing, though, is talking about uh, thyroglossal duct cyst, which is resultant from the pyramidal lobe extension. The thing to remember is that it has malignant potential, so it's important to, to resect this if, if you do have a thyroglossal duct cyst. Otherwise, let's move on to a little bit of that pathophysiology. So let's talk about hyperthyroidism. So John, what lab findings are found in hyperthyroidism? Yeah, so for the test, if you were in clinically, if you have a patient with suspicion of hyperthyroidism, you'd order a, you'd order a thyroglobulin test as well as a TSH. Uh, you would find on your results low TSH and elevated T3 or T4. Okay, all right. And what are some of the common medications that are used uh, to medically treat hyperthyroidism? So a few options are PTU. It's the side effects of this are aplastic anemia and agranulocytosis. However, PTU is, if you see the option of a pregnant patient, is safe to be used during the first trimester of pregnancy as it does not cross the placenta. Another option is methemazole. And the side effects with this drug are cretinism, aplastic anemia, and as also agranulocytosis. Okay, great. So yeah, PTU and methemazole. So yeah. Uh, the thing that comes up is that pregnancy question. So both can are can actually be used in pregnancy, but during the first trimester, you want uh, PTU as it does not uh, cross the placenta. And then later in the pregnancy, typically transocean over to methamazole. Okay, Kevin, so let's talk a bit about Graves' disease. So how is Graves' disease diagnosed? So there's two ways to diagnose Graves' disease. You can give them the radioactive iodine and you'll see diffuse uptake. Or you can also test for the antibodies against TSH receptors. Okay, what about management of Graves' disease? So you can use your antithyroid medications. You can use radio ablative therapies, radio iodine ablative therapies, or you can resect it with a thyroidectomy. Okay, so what's when you're we're approaching uh, resection, what are some important principles? So you want to make sure they're in a euthyroid state prior to the surgery to avoid a thyroid storm. Okay. How about there any? What's a Lugol solution? I've heard about Lugol solution when it comes to thyroid storm. Yeah, I've never really used it, but apparently it decreases the thyroid vascularity and makes it firmer and easier to resect. Okay. Well, let's talk a little bit about that, John, about then multinodular goiters. Uh, what are some clinical manifestations of multinodular goiter, and how are these approached and treated? Yeah, you might see a question explaining a multinodular goiter, and that you'll see radioiodine uptake in multiple locations within the thyroid gland and then surrounded by suppressed thyroid gland tissue. The management for this, you can use medications, but the traditional management is total or subtotal thyroidectomy. Okay. So let, I want to go back a second and, and talk a little bit more about thyroid storm. So Kevin, you mentioned it. So what, what are the signs and symptoms of a thyroid storm, and how do you treat yeah, so these patients uh, will generally, they can have a lot of different manifestations and it, and it can be life-threatening. So sometimes they present with hyperthermia. They can have CNS manifestations, cardiovascular dysfunction. And then to treat them, you generally do supportive care, including cooling blankets, uh, radioiodine, ablative therapies, and thyroidectomy. Okay. So, you know, another common cause of hyperthyroidism and ultimately even progressing to hypothyroidism is this. So John, what's the, when we talk about thyroiditis, what's the most common causes of thyroiditis and how do we manage and approach these? Yeah, the, there's 
three main types. The one you get a lot of more questions on is Hashimoto's. And this is caused by anti-thyroid peroxidase or anti-TPO antibodies. And it presents with a painless goiter. Management is thyroid hormone replacement. The second one is subacute granulomatous. It's painful, maybe related to viral infection. You'll see low uptake on your radioiodine uptake scans. And the management for this are NSAIDs and steroids. And the third one is Riedel thyroiditis. It's chronic inflammation causing fibrosis, which has a hard, non-tender, and is associated with hyperthyroidism. The management for this is thyroid hormone replacement and steroids. Yeah, great. So yeah, just be familiar with those different types of thyroiditis and, again, things like the Hashimoto's and its association with the anti-TPO antibodies, as well as some of the different histologic uh, descriptions. Because you may see those in, written into a question stem and, and asking you what the treatment would be. Let's move on to thyroid nodules and malignancy. So something that comes up frequently is how the diagnostic evaluation of a thyroid nodule. So uh, Kevin, where do you start with a thyroid nodule? Yeah, so ultrasound's a really critical part of this. And so you get a, a good ultrasound and what you're looking for in it is whether it's hypoechogenic, whether it has microcalcifications, irregular margins, unorganized vascular patterns, lymphatic invasion, or if it's taller than wider in the transverse plane. And then at, with after this ultrasound, you're generally going to get an FNA. Okay. And so uh, something that's important when it comes to evaluating that FNA is something, it was the Bethesda criteria. So this is, we have a table in the book that I would refer to and make sure you're familiar with these because these very commonly show up. So We'll break it down. So uh, Bethesda criteria one is indeterminate. And what you do with that is that you repeat the FNA. Number two, benign, repeat ultrasound in six to 12 months. Number three, uh, atypical, atypia of undetermined significance or follicular lesion of undetermined significance. This is honestly is the one I see most often on the test to come up as a Bethesda three, then it'll ask you what to do. And the answer is repeat FNA. For Bethesda criteria four, that's a follicular neoplasm. It's a lobectomy. For five, it's a suspicious malignancy, also lobectomy. And then type six is malignancy with a total thyroidectomy being the recommendation. John, how about thyroid lymphoma? How do we diagnose thyroid lymphoma and how do we treat it? Yeah, like most uh, thyroid diseases, we diagnose it with an FNA, which will show large irregular lymphoid cells. And that has an excellent response to chemotherapy alone. Some of the drugs you use for that are RCHOP, rituximab, cyclophosphamide, hydroxydoxorubicin, and aquavin, which is also known as vincristine, and finally prednisone. If there are compressive symptoms present in a thyroid lymphoma, you can consider radiation therapy. Excellent. So thyroid lymphoma chemotherapy with RCHOP, and then compressive symptoms add radiation therapy. Okay, how about the epidemiology and some diagnostic findings in papillary cancer, Kevin? Yeah, extremely high yield here. It's the most common thyroid malignancy, more commonly seen in female patients, and it spreads via lymphatic spread, which is important for you know, when you have, you know, how you do your, you do a lymph node resection in these patients if it is advanced because it's spread through the lymphatic. So. What is classic on the FNA? You should know what these look like also, not just the name of them, because I have heard and seen of them just posting pictures of these. It's the FNA will show somoma bodies and the orphan anti nuclei. So Google image search those and make sure you know what those look like. 
Okay. How about uh, there's yeah, totally agree with that. Those are those are definitely one you should Google image and know what it looks like because that's something that might show up as an image question on the outside. Now, how about the, the, there's something very unique about staging uh, papillary thyroid cancer, and what is that, Kevin? Yeah, it's very interesting. It's age-based. Um, so if they're less than 55 years old and no distant METs, it's stage one. If it's distant METs, then it's stage two in a less than 55-year-old. Stage three and four disease can only occur in patients older than 55. Yeah, so age is very important in the staging of papillary thyroid cancer, which is kind of unique. How, how do we manage uh, thyroid cancer, Kevin? So these patients need a thyroidectomy. Now you have the option of a total thyroidectomy versus a lobectomy. Um, a lobectomy is an option if you have less than four centimeter disease without nodal involvement or local invasion. But there are some advantages to the total thyroidectomy if you're in between the two. It allows for surveillance based on thyroglobulin levels. And then you can also do post-operative radioiodine treatment. And this can also remove any potential multifocal disease. As far as lymph nodes go, it's a little bit controversial and it's beyond the scope of kind of what you're expected to know. But if you have a sp suspicious lymph node in a compartment, you're going to do a lymph node dissection of that compartment. So it's either going to be the central level six lymph node dissection. If you have a suspicious or clinically positive node, you'll do a central neck dissection. Or if you have a positive node in the lateral levels two through four, then you'll do a lateral neck dissection. Great. Yeah. A little bit of nuances there with you know, some options for papillary thyroid cancer, but for the outside, it should be pretty clear. They're probably not going to give you anything too controversial or too tricky. So John, for let's go, let's switch now to follicular thyroid uh, cancer. Uh, how do you diagnose this and uh, what's your approach? Yeah. A few things to know about follicular thyroid cancer. It's also more common in women and it has hematogenous spread. The FNA for thi follicular thyroid cancer is not reliable, so a lot of times you need to do a diagnostic or a therapeutic lobectomy. The management for this is total thyroidectomy with a modified radical neck dissection for positive nodes and post-operative radioiodine ablation. You can consider a thyroid lobectomy if the nodule is less than 4 centimeters the patient is less than 45 years old. There's no signs of distant disease, which think about homogenous spread. And there's no personal or family history of thyroid cancer. Great. Okay. So how about moving on now to medullary thyroid cancer? So Kevin, talk to me about medullary thyroid cancer, pathophysiology, management. Yeah. So this one originates from the parafollicular C cells. 20% of them are associated with the commonly tested germline mutation in RET oncogene, R-E-T, RET oncogene. Management of the medullary thyroid cancers is with a total thyroidectomy with a central neck dissection and then a modified radical neck dissection if the lymph nodes are involved. Yeah, and of course you want to monitor for uh, surveillance after that with uh, checking your CEA and calcitonin levels. Now moving on, you know, we can't finish a discussion about medullary thyroid cancer without uh, talking about the MEN syndromes, which can be very confusing. But what's important to remember is that MEN2A and MEN2B are associated with medullary thyroid cancer. There, which, the, you know, the risk is somewhat individualized based on specific gene mutations, but the general recommendation is for prophylactic thyroidectomy. The timing can be a bit confusing. So, John, how do we understand this? Let's break it down into, you know, low, medium risk, high risk, and then, you know, our highest risk patients. When should those patients be getting their prophylactic thyroidectomy? Yeah, so once you determine the risk on this, for your low-risk and medium-risk patients, 
you typically want to do the prophylactic thyroidectomy by five years of age. For the highest risk patients, you want to do it within the first year of life. You can delay the prophylactic thyroidectomy as certain criteria are met. And that is if you have normal annual serum calcitonins, normal annual neck ultrasound, and a family history of a less aggressive medullary thyroid cancer. Okay, perfect. So for our lower risk patients, you know, generally, yeah, by five years is a good idea, but it can be delayed based on those factors. You know, for our high risk patients, definitely by five years. And then for that highest risk category, it, it needs to be done as soon as possible within the first year of life. So unlikely you'll get into that level of detail on the outside, but for most other than the highest risk patients, just remember by five years of age for that prophylactic uh, thyroidectomy. Okay. So now is time for our quick hits for today. So let's do it. So Kevin, what antibodies are associated with Graves' disease and Hashimoto's thyroiditis? So for Graves, you have your anti-TSH receptor antibodies. And for Hashimoto's, you have your anti-thyroid peroxidase. Okay. John, what thyroid malignancy cannot be treated with radioactive iodine? Yep, it's the only one. It's medullary thyroid cancer. Good. Medullary thyroid cancer does not respond to radioactive iodine. Kevin, where is the recurrent laryngeal nerve most commonly injured? Near the ligament of Barry. Okay. John, where is the superior laryngeal nerve most commonly injured? And that's near the superior pole of the thyroid, and usually during the ligation of the superior thyroid artery. Okay, good. What's uh, next? So what's the most common symptom of an ele elevated uh, calcitonin? Yep, that'd be diarrhea. Yeah, pretty nonspecific, but diarrhea is the most common symptom um, of an elevated calcitonin. Okay, and finally, what group of nodes are found within the anterior, anterior suspensory ligament, and what is their clinical importance? It's the Delphian nodes. They're at the level six, and these are the frequent first site of METs during thyroid cancer. Excellent. All right, that does it for our absite review of the thyroid. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, and thank you to Medtronic for supporting surgical residents preparing for the 2024 absite. Since 1949, Medtronic has relentlessly pursued therapies that change lives. Today, we thank Medtronic for supporting surgical residents as they relentlessly pursue their dreams. From all of us at Behind the Knife and Medtronic, dominate the absite.